Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, I want to tell you about one of the most pivotal moments in my in my life and my spiritual life, really all, you know, the, my entire life. It was uh, when I was in college and, you know, I, I had the blessing of growing up in, in a church, this church in particular, uh, learning lots about scripture, um, having all kinds of great experiences, just feeling loved by the people of God, um, had a huge, and I had this, you know, this plan to be a, a medical missionary. And I, I went to, went to college and I was, heavily involved in ministry. I was leading worship and leading a Bible study and in a Bible study and discipling guys and being discipled. And I, you know, at one point I had, you know, time blocked off on my calendar to, um, you know, walk around my dorm and try to have spiritual conversations with, with people in, in my dorm, uh, and stuff like that. And so it was, it was, it was a time when it seemed like, at least on the outside, you know, I was doing it, <laughs> you know, as I had this plan to be a missionary and, you know, I was, I was doing it. Um, it was, it was also a, a time where, uh, parallel to all this activity, I started to see more and more clearly the depths of my sin. Uh, some of it just, you know, being in college where there's opportunity to sin more. Some of it is just the, the little manageable like ways of sinning that I could explain away that were socially acceptable or things everybody struggled with. Then it, stuff started to express itself in ways that I couldn't, I couldn't explain away or that, that I couldn't just uh, get past. And there was this stretch there where I, I would wake up uh, in the morning in my dorm room and sit there on the edge of my bed, and it was like I could feel tangibly like my sin dripping off of my body. And it, it was a time where the, the depth of my sin, the depth of my depravity was, was just so much deeper than I had ever thought or imagined. Uh, and the, the kindness of God in that moment, in those, those, the, it was a, several, uh, a stretch of time was waking up, just feeling that deep sense of, of dirtiness, of sinfulness uh, on a visceral level that God met me with the good news that I had grown up hearing my entire life, the, the grace and forgiveness available in Jesus Christ uh, that that I that I'd known finally got deep into my bones, like it quit becoming a doctrine or like an idea that I believed intellectually and became something that deep in my gut uh, defined my life. And from that place, I, I call that, uh, there's a book about that time that came out called Gospel Wakefulness, this idea where you like awake to the gospel. It's not that you hadn't heard it or you didn't know the facts of what Jesus did for you, but your soul at a deep soul level, you awake to the gospel, to the grace that God has for us. And that, that changed everything about my life, my, my plans, I, uh, the, my entire life plan that I had to be a missionary and uh, do become a doctor and, and all these things changed everything. And I tell that story because as I prayed over this text, which at first glance is kind of a downer, just 
what defiles you is you. <laughs> That's kind of the, the bottom line. What, what, the, there's something deeply wrong inside all of us, every single human on the earth. There's something truly wrong. And today, Jesus shows us that our main problem is not outside of us, but inside of us. Because the truth that there's something wrong with humanity is not a hard uh, argument to win. Uh, anyone, no matter their belief, no matter their relationship to God or w- whatever, everybody would say there's something wrong with the world, with people, with society or whatever. The question is, where is the source of the problem? And where, and where does the solution come from? And Jesus is showing us that our main problem is, is inside us rather than outside. That we need an inside out solution. And I, I would propose to you that only Jesus offers us an inside-out solution. Every other solution starts out there. It's other people's fault, or we got to get our circumstances right, or something like that. But Jesus offers us an honest look at what is inside of us. And he promises to make us new from the inside out, to cleanse our hearts first and foremost, so that then our hearts can be springs of living water. It's a powerful contrast in the teachings of Jesus that it is the evils from inside that defile us and that the transformation, transforming work that Jesus can do in the power of the Spirit is to, to make that, that original source of evil now springs of living water. And I think in my own story, almost every other solution to the problem of evil is outside in. And, and my, my whole plan to be a medical missionary but in that moment of gospel wakefulness, I realized it was an outside-in uh, solution. Uh, even though it was admirable, and, and listen, it is a beautiful thing to be a medical missionary. If you feel called to do that, let us know. We'd love to foster that call. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with being a medical missionary, but I had done it as a way to try to fix that deep sense that something was wrong with me. I thought that if I could become a medical missionary, I would be able to you know, work and make plenty of money so I'd be safe. Uh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd know I was making a difference because I could, I could heal people. I could fix problems. I know I was significant and making an impact and, and people would respect me. You know, the, 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 it would, it was an admirable thing. And so all I could manage all of that, that sense of lack of like, Hey, I'm not safe and do it. Is my life significant in any way? And do, do people approve of me? And I was like, my, outside-in solution is that if the outside, if I can become a doctor, then that inner sense that I'm not all right might go away. And so the question for you to consider as we walk through this text is, what, it, what, it, what is your tendency to have an outside-in solution? But what, what is your plan, the, the functional good news that you pursue to try to make that sense of things not being okay inside of you uh, better? Well, let's dive into our text, uh, context before we get into our text. The first part of this chapter in the Gospel of Mark was a square off, a showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, the, 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 in the first chunk of it, they, uh, they uh, approach him and they criticize him and his disciples for not following this, uh, this tradition they had, this purity tradition of washing hands before 
they eat. Now, the Pharisees, they were the professional Christians. They were the, the people whose job it was to know Scripture, uh, to live out the Scripture, to help the other people live out the Scripture, to be set, set apart, to be set aside. Uh, and so there were these purity laws in the Old Testament uh, that, that had been given by God to his people for a purpose. And the Pharisees took those very seriously. And then as we learned last week from Andrew, they, they hedged. They built extra rules around the, the thing from God to, to try to be extra pure, extra, uh, extra uh, holy. And what they missed, though, and what we see is this tragic thing that I think can happen in all of our hearts, and not trying to throw the Pharisees under the bus here, is that they took the symbol, these purity laws that were a symbol, and they made them the point. So the reason why God gave his people purity laws was that they were to be a symbol for an inner reality, which is that they needed to be cleaned. Uh, so the abstaining from things that could be defiled, uh, not touching dead bodies, certain foods. And then there were all kinds of purity rituals of washing, like mikvah, mikvah baths and stuff like that in the Old Testament. All of those were meant to point to a spiritual, theological inner reality, which is that, that, that we are not okay on our own. That in order to participate in life with God, we need to be cleansed. Uh, it, it, a modern day example for us would be like baptism. When, when David Sukkot fills up the tub back there with water, like does he, does he sprinkle some special spiritual dust in that water? Is there anything different about that tap water from any like the water that's in my water bottle right now? There's not. But still baptism is this beautiful, sacred thing that's been given to us from the scriptures. Why? To point to a deeper theological reality, which is that for those who say Jesus is Lord, who, who have given their life to him, they now identify with him in his death and come up out of the water uh, into new life with Jesus. So it'd be like what the Pharisees were doing would, would be like if we start hyping up this particular tub and the, the, the special water that only David Sukkot can fill up with, with his special wand or something like that. It's like, we're missing the point. It's not the water that is, is the holy thing. It's the water is pointing us to the holy thing, which is God's work in our lives. So that's what they have done. So with the, the washing of pots and all that stuff. And then today we're looking at a few food laws, purity food laws. Uh, and, and Jesus drops this bomb right before our text today, uh, where he's quoting Isaiah, quoting a verse that these people probably had memorized, Isaiah 29, 13. Let me read it. He says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a blistering indictment. That's a a bomb that Jesus dropped right before. And, and he drops that in his conversation with the Pharisees. And then we get to our text uh, where he, as he calls the crowd to him and he's going to up the ante. Uh, so this brutal, brutal re rebuke from Jesus is talking about these external things that we can do uh, that, but our hearts are actually far from God. Like in my, in my example, for, in my life, being a doctor, I was going to be a doctor for God, uh, but I was really, it was really my functional way of make, making it through life without needing God at all. 
So I was honoring him. Like I want to do medical missions for God, but inside I'm like, I want to not need him. I want to be in control and get all my needs met by my plan to be a doctor. It's a piercing, horrifying realization when you realize all these beautiful things that we could do on the outside or actually could be potentially ways to avoid God. So that's the context. Let's look at our text, verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. I just want to stop after that one verse because it's so weighty. Jesus just looked at the Pharisees and dropped this huge bomb using a verse they had memorized back in their face. And he doesn't like quietly step back into the crowd or you know, wrap up with a funny story to try to lighten the mood <laughs> like I do a lot of the time. Uh, he then turns like, he turns from the Pharisees and gathers everybody around. And this is Jesus doubling down. Listen to me, everyone, understand this. This is super important. Verse 15, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of the person that defiles them. Jesus is reframing, reframing the point of the Old Testament with its laws, its purity laws, its food laws, uh, with this parable and highlighting the fact that it is sin nature, that all those laws were given to remind God's people of sin, of their not rightness before him. They, they, these laws were not the things that would make them clean, but they were meant to remind him, remind them that they needed to be made clean. And I, and I just want to point out that we're talking about God-given laws. The first part were like man-made laws with the washing of hands. Like you can add to God's law. But here, Jesus is talking about specific laws in the Old Testament. And, and I, the reason I stress that is because hopefully you're picking up on this with me talking about being a medical missionary like it was a negative thing in my life because being a medical missionary, I want to say it again, can be a beautiful, good, God-glorifying thing. Um, my point is that our hearts are so sneaky and so deceptive is that we can take good things, even the Bible, and use it to avoid God. The other week, I got into a conversation with an atheist where he was trying to defend why he, as an atheist, could be a good person. Because uh, it sounded like someone maybe a little heavy-handed was trying to, like, poke at him about like, why are you a good person if you don't believe in, in you know, in good and evil <laughs> or, or, or whatever. But the truth is that atheists and anyone can do good things apart from God. You can do good things from terrible uh, motives. You can serve the poor and give warm hugs and all these things, uh, but do it from a, from a place of, of self-righteousness, a place of bitterness, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, if I give, give my body away to be burned, but don't have love, I gain nothing. And you see that, uh, you can see that a lot in, in the church. People who are faithful servants, but doing it not from a place of rest and who they are in God can, can grow bitter and grumpy. This is all to show that Jeremiah 17, 9 says really bluntly, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Again, not very encouraging, but, but this is the teaching of our scriptures, of our holy scriptures. This is the truth that God has given us in his word. Verse 17, 
After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into, into their hearts, but into their stomachs, and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So this is a really special moment. There's a few of these in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospels where we get an inside look at Jesus discipling the disciples and by extension us, where he had one kind of message instead of teaching that he would present broadly to the crowd and then he would unpack it for his inner circle, for his disciples. And having it in the scriptures in our laps right now is us entering Jesus' inner circle as his disciples. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is that Jesus seems a little grumpy in this text, you know, like calling, like, are you so dull? And I think the best, the best example I could think of is uh, my kids when, when they were learning what it meant when I pointed at something. And if you're, if you're a parent of young kids, maybe you remember this, but like early on, kids don't know to follow the finger. They look at the finger. They're like, you know, Johnny, I, this is kind of where Isla's at right now. Like, go over there, you know, go do this thing. And then it's just like looking at my finger, you know, and it's like, do you not get what a point is? Do you not get, get what, what, what I'm trying to do? The point is not the finger. That's kind of where he's at, where they're just like focused on, on, on one thing. And he's like, aren't you seeing where I'm, where I'm going with it? Because that's what like pointing is. It's kind of like a symbol. It is a, a, a little mini parable of where to guide your attention. And so just hear that in kind of like a, you know, a lovingly exasperated parent, like a parent of a two-year-old, like, no, follow my finger, like explain, you know, to a two-year-old, follow where I'm pointing. The next thing I want to say about this is that his explanation of the, of the little two-line parable that he just shared um, is, is almost like graphically humorous in, in the Greek when he talks about something going into your body and passing out through the stomach. Like it literally says and like goes out into the toilet. And pointing out the absurdity that like some particular food could actually defile our hearts. Like it doesn't even touch it. And it is just, it all comes out the same place. <laughs> Maybe that's how your grandpa would say it. But what goes in comes out, you know, it's, it's all coming out the same place. And he's pointing out that these purity laws were, were, had an intention. They were like a finger pointing to something, uh, a deeper spiritual reality, which is that humans, because of sin, are cut off from God, that we need to be made clean. Just like baptism is a symbol of deeper realities for us. The inner issue is that we are fractured and cut off from God. And that to blame external things for defiling us and then to think that we could be made clean by abstaining from certain external things completely misses the point. And to, to land the plane, to leave no questions, he look at how he closes it in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, period. But in case we needed more, he keeps going. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. So here's our king talking about sin. I feel like we should at least just put a pin in the fact that Jesus talks about sin, that, you know, he was a full of love and grace and forgiveness, but he also had hard words against sin. 
our behavior, others' behavior, sin played out in systems in our society all stems from sin nature in the heart of humans. And there's 12 things in this list. The first six in the Greek are plural, which is kind of hard to translate, uh, which kind of connotates repeated actions. And so these would be like outward, external, like repeated actions. So acts of sexual immorality, or acts of theft, murder, adultery, greedy acts, and malice. Two, two terms. We don't have time to dive into all of these. So the first one, sexual immorality. Like why is sexual morality there and also adultery? Well, sexual morality is this biblical term, porneia, where we get our term pornography. And it refers to any exp- sexual experience, any expression of sexuality apart from within a marriage between a man, a covenant, marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Uh, so it, this includes romance novels and pornography and flirting and you know, like all kinds of, all kinds of that stuff that would happen outside of God's design. And then the last one, uh, which is translated here, uh, malice is, is just kind of like general wickedness acts and stuff. And I point out these two terms in particular because one thing I've learned or noticed about scripture, whenever it gives lists, particularly of sin, uh, it's very, it, it always eliminates loopholes. You know, if it was saying like, you know, it's, it's the classic youth group line, how far can I go with my girlfriend? You know, like you know, list acts that I can do, list acts that I can't do. And instead it says sexual morality. You know, there's just no loophole. And same with kind of ending this list, the first list of actions with just general wickedness. It's like that line from, I forget what kid's movie it is, but like, you're the evil mastermind, not me. Like, I'm not going to try to come up with every single wicked thing that you might come up with, just general wickedness. So it it removes loopholes. The second six uh, things in this list are uh, singular which connotate attitudes or besetting sins or vices, kind of like maybe a posture towards life. And so when you look at uh, deceit, just general deception and manipulation, like that might play out in actual actions, but oftentimes that kind of thing comes from a place uh, that that just kind of flavors a lot of your interactions. You're kind of constantly cajoling and and, and maneuvering and manipulating. Envy, uh, covetousness, uh, that that can be a driving force, keeping up with the Joneses. It can be a a, a posture of our hearts towards other people, where we try to use them and get stuff from them, towards stuff, where stuff defines our life and our sense of security and self-worth. And then arrogance and folly. Interesting that they're both there together. I just want to touch on folly. It's something I feel like we don't talk enough about where there's a passage in Ephesians 5 where it says, be careful how you live. Not as wise or not not as foolish, but as wise because the days are evil. It's like this sense of being a simpleton. This kind of like posture toward life where I don't really want to look under the hood. I just kind of want to like float and cruise and have God kind of bless it all. And I don't, I, I don't want to really pursue wisdom and seek it and embody it and live according to God. And, and the, the Ephesians passage says the days are evil. They will sweep you away. And so it's that general posture of folly or foolishness. These are what defile. 
And this list, I, I hope, shows that none of us get, get out of jail. None of us escape this list. There's some really egregious ones, theft, murder, adultery, these like explicit acts or whatever. And, and you know, there, there might be some of us who can make it, you know, Lord willing, all our entire lifespan without murdering someone. Uh, but, but then we, when we get into the more difficult things like envy or, you know, the idea of lewdness is also translated sensuality, where maybe we don't actually ever touch another human being inappropriately, but inside our hearts and minds are filled with inappropriate thoughts. And I think it's, it's really significant that this list is kind of split up this way because there are some people who are just kind of like action people, like doing, like if they're going to sin, it's going to be active and loud and in your face and kind of destroy everything. But then, but then there's also some of us who are wired to where like, we don't struggle with doing things. We struggle with doing nothing. <laughs> like our default is, is no action. Like I've, I've had conversations across the table from, from at least one man who's like now separated from his wife. And he's just like, I don't know why she's mad at me. I don't do anything. I haven't done anything. And it's like, what's a loving way to help this guy see that sometimes women want their husbands to do more than just work and not hit them or cheat on them. Like, you know, maybe there's some listening and care and nurturing and active engagement in marriage. And so th this list gets at that. We're like, you might be the kind of person whose outside life has no, the, no egregious sin or action, but inside is, is just full of all these things, envy, greed, covetousness, uh, and pride, a like it's just a grumbling bitterness that people aren't working as hard as you. And so, I know this isn't fun, but this is the, the, the path to life according to Jesus. And so what is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind in your own heart? What part of this list is he, what term is he just sticking in your mind and you don't like it and you don't even know what it means. But I just want to encourage you to, to not shy away from that. If the Holy Spirit's bringing something to your mind in your life from this list, sit with it this week, sit with it this afternoon, see what God might bring to mind. And the one thing I want to just by way of application or thought exercise by way of application is this concept of bartering. Because I think what you see in a list like this is that there's some things that you just don't struggle with at all that like aren't even aren't even a temptation or on the radar. And then and then if we can be honest, I, I would think all of us can find at least one thing. And, and the longer I'm a pastor is that I, I've seen that Christians were super good at bartering with God. We like look at what we're good at or the commands that we like, and we're just going to go to town on those and just kind of like play a blind eye to this or, or explain, explain them away or, you know, find a study Bible that's got some notes that make it say not what it, what it actually says. And so I just want to hold that before you. Like one example I experienced in my ministry was a, a church that uh, didn't even touch alcohol. But then within the church, there were many, many people who had had bariatric surgery which is the surgery that you often have when your doctor looks at you and says, if you don't stop eating, you are going to kill yourself. Like if you don't stop eating the way you are, and, and I'm not saying there's a place for bariatric surgery and there's healing for all that. But my point is that there can be this barter where like the, the command is don't get drunk. The command isn't actually don't touch alcohol. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a, as a Baptist pastor, but like if we're looking at what, the, what God actually says. It says, don't get drunk. You know, and then they hedge around it. We're not going to even touch alcohol, which can be wisdom for a lot of us. Uh, but then 
the, in exchange, we're not even going to talk about the sin of gluttony. We're not even going to like consider any teaching on fasting or whatever. I, my point is that we can barter with God. And, and one thing to consider as I think about our church uh, in the, the bartering often comes in our strengths and our gifts. One of the ways that we most enjoy loving and serving God. Uh, and then it can have a shadow side. It can kind of get too far or out of balance. And I, I just want to consider the idea of uh, the, the bartering that could come from busyness versus being. It's basically the Mary and Martha you know, conundrum where we could be doing for God and avoid being with God in the stillness, in the quiet, sitting at Jesus's feet. You need both. Like, I'm not saying we don't do things, we don't serve. Active servants in the church uh, dearly love you and appreciate you. Um, But just consider that that, that we could be people that would barter with God uh, in a way that where I'm going to do for you so I don't actually have to be with you or look at you or ask hard questions about my life. So after all this hard stuff, what, what, what hope do we have? If the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, what hope do we have? If our hearts are what defile us, how can we be made new? Well, a text that I think ties all the themes of our passage today together is Zechariah 3. It's this little passage in, a, in one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament and it's a beautiful passage. It offers great hope for us. And it, and it ties all these things together, purity laws and our defiled hearts before God. And in, in Zechariah chapter three, we don't have time to read the whole thing. Zechariah's a prophet and he has a vision. And the, the vision is of a high priest named Yeshua, which is often translated Joshua in uh, Zechariah, uh, coming before the Lord to present sacrifices. And the background uh, of this scene is that this is the day of Yom Kippur, which was the high holy day, the whole, like one of the most significant days for God's people. And where Zacharias sees Yeshua entering into is the Holy of Holies. So the temple in the Old Testament had three kind of sections, the outer, the outer courts, the inner courts, and the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the, the mercy seat was, and the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. And the Holy of Holies was, was shrouded in thick curtain, as thick as your hand, and uh, one person could enter there only one day of the year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. It was the high priest. It was the only one who could enter. In a week leading up to Yom Kippur, this high priest would, would, would set himself apart. He'd literally leave his house and go on a week-long prayer retreat to, to be set apart so he wouldn't touch anything that would make him unclean. He'd have clean food present, uh, delivered to him. And for a week, he would pray, wash himself, read the scriptures, preparing to come before the presence of the Lord. It was this very intense thing. And the the night before the day of Yom Kippur, he wouldn't sleep. He would spend all night praying, reading scriptures, preparing his heart for the presence of the Lord. And then on the day of Yom Kippur, he, he would come into the temple. And this was not a private thing. This was him going before God for the sake of all the people. So the temple would have been packed. It was a huge deal. And he would wash again, put on a pure white linen robe, and he would go into the Holy of Holies. The first time he went in, he'd offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of his own sin. And then after that, he would come out and he would wash it, go behind a curtain, wash again, and get a a brand new, fresh white linen. 
And he would go in again and offer another blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, uh, for the sins of the priests. And he would come out and a third time he would wash a third fresh white linen and he would go in. And at that point he would offer a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of all God's people. While the people watched with weighted breath, watching, watching this, watching this special sacred symbol. So that's the background. What Zechariah sees in his vision is the high priest in the Holy of Holies before God dressed in a filthy gown covered in excrement. Zechariah is horrified. How, how could this be? How could they let him in there? And the, the point of the vision is, two, is twofold. It's God saying to his people, all, all those rituals, all those washings, all that ceremony is meant to point to the, the immovable spiritual reality, which is that apart from me, this is, this is how you are covered in filth. Like I felt sitting on the edge of my bed in Stanton Hall all those years ago. Zechariah would have been flabbergasted. What, what hope do we have? How, what can we do if despite our best efforts of washing and new linens, this is where we are. But then in verse three of Zechariah three, the words of God come and it says, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. How can this be? All the purity laws weren't actually working and said they were pointing to what we ultimately needed. Well, the second message of this vision of this prophecy is that it is a prediction. It is a foretelling of what will come which is a different Yeshua will come. And it's just interesting in Hebrew, Joshua and Jesus come from the same word translated different ways and they're parallels and they're opposites. Jesus as our true high priest prepared for his own day of atonement on the cross. He had a, a week of preparation. And on the night before he didn't sleep, but all night was laboring in prayer, interceding. But then the, the parallels stop it and they become the opposite because instead of giving a fresh, clean robe, what did Jesus get? Nothing. His robe was taken away. And instead of giving clean food or a bath, he was whipped and spit upon. Why? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how we are made clean. This is our only hope to be washed from our filth, our defilement, the deep sense that we are flawed and worthless and unlovable. All of that was put on Jesus on the cross. The penalty of, of death being cut off from the God of life was paid. And so that now we like Yeshua, the high priest in Zechariah 3 can receive pure white linen of Jesus's perfect righteousness. And I know this probably isn't new information to a lot of you, but just consider the lived experience of life, knowing that we are dressed in Jesus's perfect righteousness, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our filthy robes covered in excrement. He sees Jesus's perfect white 
robe of righteousness. And he looks on us with the same affection that he looks on Jesus. In my story, that, that, that moment of coming to terms with the depravity dripping off of me led to a taste of grace that, defined, that redefined my entire life, that lifted burdens I didn't even know I was carrying, that set me free to pursue God and follow God in ways that, that I didn't have courage to before I experienced that grace. How might that look for you? How might that look for us as a church family if we all embrace this kind of living. I was doing some pastoral counseling with a guy once uh, and after hearing his story, it was this big slog and he was struggling with a porn addiction and all this stuff. I asked him, so what's your Christian testimony? And he's like, oh, my Christian testimony is one of guilt. And it was just this awkward pause of like, that is not categorically not a Christian testimony. And, and this guy who had grown up in the church, done the stuff, mission trips, all this stuff. And, and friend, I just the cry of my heart is that we would be freed from this trap that I think can happen in churches where our functional narrative is that God is great and amazing and I am a worthless worm, but he has to put up with me because Jesus died for my sins. And we just live in that gap. God's great. I'm terrible. Just wait to get to heaven. Because that is just not the life that Christ died. That's not the abundant life God made. And that's not the truth of what the doctrine of the atonement says, that our defiled hearts can be washed clean by the Holy Spirit and Jesus's work on the cross. If you are in Christ, you are now clothed in perfect white, pure white linen. There's no condemnation, no shame. There's no need to chase outside in solutions to the burden and instead, we can joyfully leave the filthy rags and step into life with God as our, beloved, as our loving father. And this is not a one-time thing. This leaving the filthy rags, turning to God's loving embrace is, is, the mark, is the mark of our lives. It's the daily returning, the minutely, hourly returning in our fear, in our anxiety, in our shame to God's loving embrace. What would that look like here? in our church family. And I just want to throw one thing out there on the, on the map is our, our regeneration ministry that, that happens here. Uh, it launches every fall and we'll talk about it more each fall. But if you, if you are curious about how to step into this living, living like you're covered in, in Jesus's white robe instead of your filthy robe of, of excrement, I should consider you to pray about joining the region or regeneration. Uh, someone who went through it talked about how after decades of being a Christian, she didn't really come home to God's love for her until she went through this process that helps us look at our defiled hearts and helps us see God's grace meeting that. So just keep that on the map, pray about that. But the, the thing that comes to mind when I think about all of us stepping in to this kind of living, where we, we aren't living from shoulds and oughts, we aren't living uh, to try to earn our rest or earn our approval, but from the approval we have in Christ, is that we would be a church family of courage, a church family that, that looks at a lost and dying world with hearts full of love and courage, willing to, to, to like Jesus, move into the neighborhood and take risks to reach uh, the, the people around us who are in a lost and dying world. But this is not something that we have to put on ourselves. This is something that I think as God's grace comes home deep in our bones, we will, he will lead us to in joy and peace. Let me pray.
Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.